This is starting point now. Okay. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to this episode of Return. Today, we are going to be talking about the rage of the nations against God, uh, how we should interpret that rage, and what our response should be. So join us. Okay, we're going to be getting to uh, this content in just a second. Okay, everyone, um, I'm excited to talk about our subject today. Uh, We're going to be mainly pulling from uh, Psalm 2, which is, in my view, a very crucial uh, and must-know passage of Scripture uh, for our day and our age, because... um, It is daily at this point where things are coming out in the news that are just showing uh, the rage of the nations, the rage of people um, coming out in laws and in, you know, legalizing sinful things. It's just we're just seeing things escalate on a daily basis right now. We've we've never seen something like this. Uh, in a global scale, and also the response of of the churches, I mean, the church in general, it's pretty shocking. It's, uh, I mean, it shouldn't shock us because it's in the book, it's in the Bible, but we are seeing an escalation of rage against the Bible, against the truth, and even against just dialogue about the Bible, about yeah. what we believe is true, then the religious freedoms are being hindered in a way that it's, it's so fast. It's happening the last two weeks. So many things have shifted that probably there's no turning back in some points in several cities. And, um, well, we, we need to talk about this in a biblical perspective. So yes. I agree. We're in an unprecedented season right now. And God is, is waking us up. Yeah, absolutely. Just in literally the last week, two weeks, I mean, there's been multiple censorship things happening on social media platforms. Again, a lot of it right now has to do with political commentators and, you know, conservative viewpoints. But what I've seen on um, like a near daily basis is actually a lot of pointed things towards religious groups or people holding towards to religious beliefs. Um, And it's really getting lumped in right now to some of the main conversations and the main things that are happening. And so if you're a hater, most of the time it's because, you know, you're holding to uh, religious beliefs, you're believing scripture, you're... You... Which which they call it haters, but we don't believe that's the truth. Yeah. And so, anyways, we're just seeing this, um, really, it's, I believe it is the beginning of persecution um, for Christians. And, and it's not limited to Christians, because obviously there's other faiths that do hold to um, moral, certain moral standards. But as Christians and as believers, we need to, one, know the word of God and two, be able to take a stand for the word of God um, 
just with boldness and with certainty. And and so that's why I want us to look today yeah. at Psalm 2, because I really believe that this is such a great starting point. One, to, to lay hold of just the end time narrative of like, what, what does the Bible actually say is going to happen in the earth? And, and the Bible has a lot to say about things that are happening currently. And we're going to see that as we dive into this Psalm. But I also want to just let you know, there are over 150 chapters in the Bible that talk about what is going to happen in the world, in the nations, right before Jesus comes back. Yeah, I just want to say something. When when Gabby's saying there's over 150 chapters, it's not a generic number that we just read about. We've been in study this for more than a decade, but very intensely for two plus years. Chapter after chapter, we have it mapped out, 150 chapters uh, that talk about the end times, the whole chapter, or yeah. at least more than 70% of the chapter. Because there's thousands of verses that talk about the end times, but at least 150 chapters. It's like it's real. It's fascinating. We've studied the Bible for years. This is like new information for us. It's oh, like totally. Seeing the Bible in a, with different lenses and different revelation. And so I just want to throw that out there. No, it's, yeah. It's a real number with real truth and, and weight on it. And just in case you think that we know it all. Oh my goodness, the more that we're jumping into what the Bible has to say, you know, in these 150 chapters, it's like, oh my goodness, the I'm so aware of how much I don't know. And so I want to also just encourage you to say, like, we are very much on the journey of discovery. And I think it is very, very important for the church to be intentional about reading your Bible and not just reading it, but also having understanding because that's what Jesus says related to the end times. We've talked about this in previous episodes. How should we prepare for his coming? And it is watch, be anointed observers and pray. Know what the Bible has to say and and have real conversation with God about it. Okay. So one of the 150 chapters is Psalm 2. Yeah. And I have a question for you. Why this psalm is so relevant for right now? Because we've mentioned several times that if you had an opportunity to talk to a Jew, to an unbeliever, to a political leader, to a president about what's going, tell me what's the opinion of the Bible of what's going on right now. And you only have 30 minutes. Which psalm would you, which chapter would you pick in Psalms 2? Yeah. Why? Why would you pick that one? Why is it so important right now? Yeah. So like I said, I think this psalm is such a great starting point to jump into uh, just what the Bible has to say about what's happening in the nations right now and in the earth. And that's because if we look at this psalm, it opens up um, with these verses that says, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Okay, so what we see in just the very opening of this psalm is that question, why do the nations rage? And when I'm seeing these things come up on social media or in the news, for real, 
every day now. Uh, things, you know, uh, hating against Christians, hating against the Bible, hating the moral standards of the Bible, you know, um, even just being like we've talked about before, pro-life, um, pro the sanctity of marriage. When you are holding to the word of God, it is causing this rage to be unleashed right now in the nations. And we're seeing this um, both, I think, just in like general pop culture or, or secular culture, but specifically the first three verses of this chapter talk about kings and rulers. So that means people who are in governmental authority want to put laws in place that legalize things that are against the word of God. And it's very interesting to me because I see they, they're, they're specifically raging against God and it says against the Lord and against his anointed. So they're raging against the father and they're raging against Jesus, who is the anointed one, saying that God's standards, his um, moral, you know, rules isn't the right way to say it. Just just the moral standards that God has, which we know biblically is the way to life. If we want to live, we have to take our cues from the author of life, the the person who knows how we're going to function um, the best, how we're even going to just, you know, live well and, and, and live healthy lives is to live according to God's words because God's law is righteous. God's law is just, they're not, you know, these heavy bonds that are, you know, rules to just like keep us from having fun or to keep, it's, it is the path of life. And so, but what we see is these uh, rulers and these kings are looking at the moral standards of God and saying they are bonds, they are chains that are are seeking to prevent us from being who we really are. And th- what we're seeing is that these kings and these rulers are really seeking to cast off the word of God, you know, as if, you know, they're heavy yokes on them. And so when I just see, you know, even again, legislature being being passed, you know, for abortion and all of this stuff, it's rage against the word of God. And it's these kings and these rulers that are setting in place these laws that directly go against the word of God. So I just think this is such a basic place to begin interpreting what is happening in in the world right now. So it's rulers, so it's presidents. And he's lawmakers, so the ones who, um, how does, does it call him, uh, rulers and kings. So it's very important that we, we see the, the prophetic side of this psalm. This psalm, many agree with this, that historically it was written by David after he defeated Goliath. So is the famous story we know about this young boy killing the giant, but it's a prophetic picture also of what's going to happen in the future. And, and many agree that the Lord gave this revelation, this open heaven revelation about the future when God is saying to David, David, what you just did, it was awesome. It was only, only with my spirit you were able to destroy this giant. But let me tell you about a 
end time giant that is going to rage against me. And it's going to be not just with the Philistines with this massive giant. It's going to be the nations with the presidents. And it's going to be the rulers and the lawmakers and policies. And they're going to come together for the first time in a global scale. After I disperse them with different languages in Genesis 11. They're going to come back together. And now they're going to range against me. And against me appointing Jesus, a Jew king, a Jewish king that has my law, my definition of morality, my definition of truth. And they're going to come together to say, we don't care about what you have to say. We actually want to destroy you and the testimony of Jesus, which is what's happening. Uh, so it's happening right now. It's escalating. But I just want to say that that was a prophetic statement. The whole psalm, the 12 verses, not, is not something of the past. Is something that happened 3,000 years ago about us today is is a is a is a picture of us from the past in a prophetic way. So every single part, every single part of of this psalm, it we have to digest it, dissect it, and apply it today. Yeah, and the crazy thing is we see this rage happening in the beginning of Psalm two where there. They're raging against God and they're raging against Jesus. And the thing is, is scripture tells us, like, as we just study the storyline of what's going to happen, they get into such a spirit of delusion and deception that by the time Jesus comes back, you know, he comes at the sound of the seventh trumpet and he and he's returning to the earth. They are gathered together. All the armies of the earth are gathered together in Jerusalem because they are going to make war against Jesus, meaning they get so deceived that to the point they think that they can actually fight against Jesus and win. Which is crazy. Yeah. So they're they're at the point where it's like they want nothing to do with God. They want nothing to do with um, Jesus, with his laws, with, with his ways his justice and and again we see in the psalm that he he's a king he is coming to take over the earth and it actually unfolds further um in this psalm so okay as we as we keep reading then in this psalm what we see in the next set of verses in verses four five and six is uh the father's response to this rage so, and maybe Benji, you can unpack that for us. What, like, how does God respond to the rage? Because I think this is something that we can really take a lot of comfort yeah. from. Yeah, it's, um, the psalm is made for, to give us direction and comfort. So the comfort comes from right now. Let's think about your city. Think about your country, wherever you're listening from. And we see what's going on. You see that the verse one, two, three, being fulfilled every single day is advancing. What do you do? You need the revelation of the second part of the psalm. Verse four, five, and six. We need an open revelation. Close our eyes and let our the, the eyes of our understanding go up to the heavenly places. And by faith, see the God of revelation for sitting down on that throne. And he's laughing. It actually says that he mocks them. He, What does this mean? I mean, when you're laughing, it's not because you're nervous or because you're in danger. 
is because it's actually insignificant to you and it's it's showing us the level of confidence that the father has and he's our father again we're in the family business christianity is a family business so our father our dad is laughing in heaven about all of these threatens and laughing doesn't mean that he's making fun of them he's just saying hey saints i overcame my son is the king he overcame death sin homosexuality abortion everything he has overcome every single sin plus every single trend the enemy is being defeated i'm laughing is done so I believe that this part is for us to go up in heavenly places and laugh with our Father, saying, okay, we have to take action. We, I mean, that's the rest of the psalm. But we need to start taking action from a position of authority that comes from the revelation of who is sitting on the throne. If we don't have that, we're going to get angry with them. When people are defending abortion, we're going to get angry with them. And it happens to us. I mean, we're literally, me and Gabe, we're processing this every single day. And we're fighting with, me personally, with anger sometimes. Like, how how they dare, like, you know, trying to kill babies and call these justices. But I have to choose to go up and instead of raging against the nations, is laughing with my father and war against the, the principalities and then have compassion for the people. If, if I want to be helpful, I need to laugh with my father first. Yeah. Well, because I think the thing is, is we draw comfort knowing that God is not concerned. He's not worried. He like he's unmoved by this in the least. He's seated above the circle of the earth and seated on his throne. And he, it says in scripture that he was seated when the flood took place, meaning like even in the total destruction of the earth, God was unmoved. That's not to say that God was unfeeling. The thing is, is that, I mean, verse five of this psalm is pretty terrifying. It says, he speaks to them, to these kings, to these rulers, and to these nations. He speaks to them in his wrath and terrifies them in his fury. I mean, let that sink in for a minute or go meditate on those verses for a little bit. And this is where I want to also just re-emphasize why as believers, the cross is so magnificent and so powerful because we ourselves, we're, we were under the wrath of God. Ephesians 2 talks about how we were destined to be we were sons of this world under the influence of satan and by the grace the mercy and the power of god through believing that jesus's death on the cross saved us from his wrath we we're able to receive his mercy but i want to say this god is not slack concerning the things that he said he will do. And so we've seen the the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus as a, a substitute for sin. But anyone who does not believe in Jesus's death on the cross is still under the wrath of God. And I want to just say, we do need to be students of the wrath of God because one, it, it is a very unpopular subject to begin with. 
Um, and again, this is something that I'm wanting to grow, not just in my knowledge about, but also just in my heart, uh, being able to partner with Jesus in his judgments and in his wrath, because he is a righteous and a just God. And I could go on and on about that. But just saying that the wrath of God, uh, Romans 2 says that people are storing up for themselves a revelation of the wrath of God in the day of his coming. And that should cause us to really want and and intercede for mercy for people. And I want to just say I'm with Benji where my first response is usually anger. Like I get pretty mad and upset about things. I'll just say I saw the new Taylor Swift music video this morning, um, which I'm like, okay, (laughs) like buy Taylor Swift for me in my personal life. Like I just, I can't, I can't watch or listen to that anymore just because it's so blatantly against the word of God. And, and so whatever, but I will, I'll say like, I've all morning been pretty upset just about like things that I'm seeing about it. And so my first response is anger most of the time, but then I'm trying to get my place or myself from the place of anger to actually, I want to pray for these people. Yeah, I want to pray for mercy. I want to pray for a revelation of Jesus's beauty, of, of Jesus's uh, atonement for them. Like the fact that he loves them so much, he went to the cross for us, for them, while we were his enemies, like this is massive. And I think just again, the whole thing of love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Like, I'll just, I'll just say this for me. I need to get there quicker than what I've been getting there so far. And that's what I've been thinking, you know, for a long time, at least in my personal life and the life of my friends, mostly we've considered love your enemies, people within the church, like, oh, they don't like me. They're gossiping and, you know, behind my back. And, I mean, that's kind of like sort of your enemy temporarily, but it's your brother. So far, we've been dealing with kindergarten related to that part of the Sermon on the Mount. We are about to graduate into university (laughs) and very quickly PhD level of loving your enemies. These nations raging against God, the verse 1 to 3, those kings, those rulers— are the perfect definition in the Bible of who we have to love as our enemies. Those will become our enemies, not because we chose to be their enemies, because they decided to be against the Lord. Therefore, we become the public enemy. And that is the moment when the church is going to say, okay, now we can love our enemies. Bless them when they curse us. You know, pray for them, give them money when they are taken from us and, you know, go the extra mile. It's not for people who, you know, oh, I make you breakfast, but I'm going to go the extra mile. I'll buy you dinner, too. No, that's that's cute. But now is go the extra mile for those who are taken away from you because they are putting policies that will make you have less money in your workplace or People are going to fire you from your job because of what you believe. And God is saying, now go the extra mile. Now bless them. Yeah. Bless their children. Now be nice with them. You know, Provide for them when persecution comes, when oppression comes. Give them the extra 
oil that you have, like the widow, you know, to Elijah, it's stuff like that. So Psalms 2 helps us to see the Sermon on the Mountain, what Christianity is at the level of what we, is going to be required from us. Yeah. And it's very sobering. And um, I agree with you. My, what Most of my response because of my immaturity and indignation is how they dare. But the Lord is like, but I love them. And I, the cross was for you and for them at the same time and level of intensity. Yeah. You know, so I think it's a good moment for us to reconsider the cross. Yeah. Uh, okay. So I want to just as we start wrapping up this uh, episode, I want to try to work through this psalm a little bit more. And um, so I'm going to just go through a couple of these verses and then uh, toss a question back to you, Benji. But as we see in verse six, after God's wrath, after he responds to say like, hey, I'm not worried. I'm I'm laughing because they have no idea who I am. I love this uh, response also from the father. He says, you want to know what my plan is? I have set my king on Zion on my holy hill. And if you guys listen to our episode on Israel and even um, on Jesus as ruler over the kings of the earth, this verse perfectly goes with those topics because what we see is it's not just rage against um, God's laws. It's it's rage against who he is and his response is, hey, I have Jesus appointed as the king over all of the earth. He is a king and he's going to rule the whole earth from the country that you hate the most, Israel, <laughs> and from the city that you hate the most, Jerusalem. It's so offensive. Yeah. Literally, Jesus, this is the father's response. I've set Jesus as the king over the whole earth from Israel. And I love it because then what we see in this next section of verses seven to nine is Jesus's response to what the father just said. It's Jesus here saying, I'm going to tell this decree the Lord said to me. And it's funny because we totally, I think I've heard this verse um, taken out of context so many times and it's fine, but ultimately this is the context in what it's being said is Jesus's response to the father is, um, is him saying, the father saying to Jesus, ask of me and I'm going to give you the nations as your inheritance. So meaning all of these nations that are raging right now against you and against me, I want I want you, Jesus, to ask me for them because you are my son. I've begotten you and this is your inheritance. This is what you paid for at the cross. And oh my goodness, we could expand on this forever yeah. and ever. But just as we wrap this up, we see in the final section, there is this command given and the command is kiss the sun. And so I want to know uh, some of your thoughts, Benji, on what does it look like as believers? And then also what does it look like for these rulers and these kings to respond to that command of, of kiss the sun? Yeah. I think the kiss the sun part is connected to the way that this King Jesus decides to make warfare against the rage of the nations. And we see that he says, I'm going to do two things. And I want you, David, to teach your family and to teach the church 
to do the same thing, which is connected to kiss the sun. So he says, I'm number one. Yes, I am the king and everyone hates me in the end times. But the, the way that I'm going to wage war is not killing them is number one. I'm going to proclaim who the father said I am. That's worship. Worship basically is to tell Jesus who the father says he is. Proclaiming truth, singing truth. Number two, I'm going to ask my father to give them to me, to give me their hearts. To you know, He's not saying I'm going to ask the Lord to destroy them. No, I want their hearts. That's intercession, asking the Father to give Jesus who, what he deserves and who he deserves. So it's worship and intercession. And then he turns to us what David is looking like. That is my king. That's my Lord. And he's doing warfare against this end time Goliath. He turns to the other kings, which is us in the future. And he says, kiss the son too. Tremble before him, bow down, worship him, adore him, obey him, and kiss him, meaning do the same thing. Go under this situation of kissing him, worship him, proclaim who he is, um, ask for the things that he deserves. So kiss the son has three elements. One, worship him. Number two, intercede, ask uh, for the nations to be his. And number three, intimacy. Give him your your emotions. Give everything he deserves. The king deserves your emotions. He is the right king, the you know, to uh, and the throne of the nation. So I see kissing the son to uh, uh, within those three elements. Yeah, and I would say I, there's an element of us as believers kissing the son, but also there's a. I think direct response to the kings and the nations that are raging. Yeah. Because in verse 10, it's saying, Now therefore, O kings, be wise and be warned, O you rulers of the earth. So, addressing the audience that we see in verse 1, he's saying, Serve the Lord with fear, rejoice with trembling, kiss him, which I think is all of those three things that you just met, mentioned. Mm -hmm. But it is also a direct response to those leaders to say, Hey, you don't realize this, but there is a revelation of the wrath of God being stored up for you. And therefore, choose wisdom. Yeah. Choose wisdom, which is the beginning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And Proverbs 8, I always forget this reverence, reference. There's a proverb um, that says, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Mm -hmm. And there is this warning basically to these kings to say, hey, you need to choose wisdom. You need to line up your life and your just the laws that you're putting in place. You need to line them up with the leadership and the rulership of Jesus because he is going to come back. He is going to set up his kingdom on the earth and be careful lest he be angry and you perish. And, uh, there's so much we could develop here. We're not going to do it right now, but I would like to in, in further episodes just even just look at this idea of how we have such an idea of Jesus as this Santa Claus, you know, the Jesus of Christmas. But the, the way that Jesus will actually 
respond to his enemies when he comes back is crucial for us to understand. Yeah, it's intense. It's intense. Especially verse 5 and 9. It's always the most intense, you know, that that we want to ignore in general when we talk about the nations. But it's the next verse after, ask for me, and I'll give you the nations, is, and you will destroy them with a rod of iron. It's like, whoa. Yeah. But this is the Jesus that we love, and he becomes more and more beautiful to us when we see that he is a God who loves justice and who loves righteousness and who wants to abolish evil and sin and darkness from the earth. And so there's so much here, but just to wrap this up, I want to encourage you, get familiar with this psalm. Psalm 2 and Psalm 110, I think, are some of the most important psalms uh, for us to know right now. Um, It's going to really help you in interpreting the things that are taking place on the earth. Uh, I would encourage you, meditate on these, journal these, write out cross-references and scripture about this, and don't take it lightly. Because I think the thing is, is we do need to be very sober about what is happening right now in the nations. And um, Peter really, he tells us in in uh, Second Peter, what manner of persons ought you be, ought you, are, should you be in uh, holiness and godly conduct? And he's talking about all of the events that are taking place, you know, in the nations with the rage. And so I would just say, we this psalm and and really knowing what it is scripture has to say about what's happening in the earth right now should really affect our lives today for us to live soberly for us to live holy for us to live godly lives and so i think we'll leave it at that for today and i'm sure you're going to hear these topics come up more in future episodes but um yeah we need to bow down and kiss the sun true see you next time see you next time